KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. I'm sh- absolutely at times early on, I questioned whether soccer would take off uh, here in America. Knew that you know, abroad, it was it was the biggest sport, uh, absolutely. And um, but I guess the day where I realized they came up with a video game for soccer, I was like, okay, I think we've made it. <laughs> And our guest this week is Ray Goon. He is the head women's soccer coach at Drexel University. 26 seasons with the Dragons and his squad uh, as we are recording this off to the best start in program history. Ray, thanks so much for coming in. Pleasure to be here. So let's talk a little bit about this group this season. I was, when I was prepping for this, I read some like previews of the conference and they talked about you guys could kind of be a a little bit of a surprise. You had talent coming back. Um, what were your thoughts coming into this season? Did you think you had a group that was, you know, ready to really kind of punch through and make noise? Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we kind of had the same questions. Uh, if you compare or, or look back at last year, uh, we had a number of overtime matches, some very close matches, uh, one goal decisions. And so we knew we were close. Um, and, you know, just coming into the season, every season is different, you know, different team, different makeup. But uh, the challenge was, are we, you know, close to being a contender or are we close to, you know, falling off the edge? And uh, that's what we focused on, that, you know, we were close. We didn't get the results we necessarily wanted last year, but we knew we were close. And that's what we focused on is just a little bit more to kind of push us over uh, to the competitive edge. How much... When you've got a group that's trying to prove something like becoming a winner, I feel like there's only so much the coach can do. You give them the game plan, you, you, but the kids have to go out and do it. How much of learning to win is this group doing and finding ways like those one goal games that maybe in the past fall short, mm-hmm. now suddenly finding a way to grind it out? Yeah, so I mean, confidence absolutely falls into into play, and so we knew that was going to be a, a major factor, and we wanted our kids to be confident, to play confidently. Um, so we we really focused on that aspect of it, uh, and we knew once they gained the confidence that uh, things would start rolling, um, hopefully rolling in in our direction. Um, and we didn't, you know, we really didn't focus on the results. It was more. If we do the things we're supposed to do, if we play the way we're supposed to play, uh, the results will take care of themselves. And that's pretty much been uh, our mindset through this beginning part of the season. And then certainly as, as the results started coming our way, we, we gained the confidence and, uh, you know, where we are right now. So let's talk a little bit about overall your career uh, with soccer. As a youngster, was it first and foremost or were you playing whatever was going on? <laughs> Yeah, you know, just like any other kid growing up, um, just liked sports, played everything, uh, maybe not necessarily in an organized league, but, you know, in the neighborhood, you're, you know, you're playing football in the fall, you're playing baseball in the in the spring and summer, hockey, all those things. Uh, and then actually in our, in, in our town, Willingboro, New Jersey, soccer started uh, in the early 70s. And my brothers, my older brothers played. And, you know, being the, the younger brother, just wanted to kind of follow their footsteps. So that's how I got into playing soccer was just following my, my older brothers. When does it start to become 
something that you're not just playing because it's going on, but because you're good at it and it's becoming a passion? Like, do you remember like the first time you got really excited for soccer for soccer's sake? Uh, yeah, I mean, loved all sports just uh, to start off. Uh, but you know, ne- didn't necessarily have the size to play football, and and uh, not necessarily the the uh, I guess skills to be really good at uh, at baseball or something like that. Um, and you know, soccer just kind of came naturally for me, and so started to focus a little bit more on that, uh, just because of it, naturally it, it it suited me. What position did you play? Well, you know that's. It's a tricky question because when you ask that to a player, you want the player to say, wherever you need me, coach. <laughs> so, um, but uh, kind of focused on the defensive end. Um, I just, uh, I guess, had this this affinity to win the ball off of players and uh, not necessarily, you know, didn't want to be known as a cherry picker or a selfish player. Uh, so just growing up, you felt if you just did the work on the defensive end, you would always be um, – noticed and and you know the teammates would would want that so kind of focused on the defensive end and that's where i started the trend that mindset i think is unusual in young players everybody wants to score the goals and you know get the name in the paper did you feel that was different as a young player like how you approached it was different than your buddies or or teammates and stuff like that um maybe so but uh i guess Again, growing up, whatever team you're on, if you've got a goal scorer, then maybe you might you might start leaning towards helping the team in another way. And just growing up, um, the teams that I played for had those attacking players, and so I just felt to help the team better, I would focus on the defensive end. So as you're growing up with soccer, is there a point you start realizing you're getting attention? You know, be it from college all-star, like people want you on their team, stuff like that. Did you start to notice a point where there's a little bit of separation where you seem to be getting a little more than, than other people? Um, not, not so much. Um, uh, in the early 70s, uh, as I mentioned, the hometown Willingboro was uh, kind of a hotbed for soccer. So uh, I felt that I was par uh, with the rest of the players. So I didn't really feel that I stood out necessarily. But certainly knew I was I was uh, you know on par with the rest of the players. So uh, fortunate that you know Willingboro had such a strong uh, soccer program back in those days. Did you watch a lot of soccer? It was tough. It was tough to watch soccer. I think back in the day, uh, the only soccer you would really get on a regular basis was uh, soccer made in Germany. Mm-hmm. And you know for the audience who was familiar with that, and, and it was a, they were delayed games. You know from a week before. So you'd really be watching this. And, I, and being that young, I didn't know. I thought they were live matches. Um, so uh, it was very limited back in those days. So eventually you go to Rutgers uh, for college. Was Rutgers the the main focus? Like were there other schools? Is there an alternate reality where you go a different path? Yeah, there were some other schools. Um, but Rutgers uh, kind of checked off all the boxes. Uh, hometown. Um and uh, just knew that playing there, my parents would be able to, to watch me play on a more regular basis. Um, when I went to Rutgers, it was kind of um, a renaissance, if you will, in that uh, the, the program was reestablishing itself. Uh, and I felt it was a, a good fit for me to come in and you know, try to establish myself with a, with a new program that was, was reestablishing themselves. How's the transition to college? Like, was it a tangible 
wow, like that first practice from high school to college? Yeah, I mean, they're bigger guys, you know. <laughs> um, in high school, you're, you're playing against certainly kids that are older than you, but, you know, exactly that. You know, they're, they're kids, and, and when you get to college, you're playing with men that are older than you and have more experience. So it was, it was definitely eye-opening when you got to that level. How long did it take you to feel comfortable? Uh, well, I was fortunate um, because I, I, I got a lot of playing time early on. Uh, and so it felt very natural, very early. Uh, and I think that kind of helped my career with that. So Rutgers, during your career, you guys have end up having a lot of success. Um, I think you had one undefeated regular season. Uh, what are your memories of your college days, be it kind of from a win-loss performance standpoint to a teammate camaraderie standpoint. When you think about your college days, what comes rushing back? Yeah, um, you know, the coach back then, Bob Riasso, um, his his selling point was, you know, we're, we're New Jersey's university and we're going to do it with New Jersey players. And that really resonated uh, with the team uh, during my time there that uh, we knew that we could we could be competitive. Uh, New Jersey was a soccer hotbed uh, for college soccer, and uh, we knew we could do it. So that was really something that, that stuck with me as we were doing it with a lot of uh, hometown boys, if you will. Did you, I know you pursued pro soccer with the, yeah. uh, in the United Soccer League and with Houston. Mm -hmm. What was that experience like? Yeah, I mean, I was fortunate and kind of not fortunate in that um, I had the opportunity to go to Houston uh, to extend my career. Uh, but the landscape of professional soccer at that time, you know, was not was not good. Um, uh, NASL, the the pro league had just uh, disbanded, and actually, so uh, I, la I was fortunate to latch on with the Houston Dynamo down in the USL, but they suspended um, operations that season as well. Uh, but fortunate that the Houston Dynamo decided to continue on, and so we played a number of exhibition matches throughout uh, that summer season. Um, but so, you know, fortunate that I was able to get that experience, uh, but also uh, sometimes in the back of my mind, I felt, you know, you kind of missed the boat a little bit. If I was a little bit older, I would have been able to, to experience some of the NASL opportunities um, with that league. So did you, were there other options did you think about overseas or, or anything like that yeah did did uh talk to a couple of players that um you know uh, uh kind of encouraged going overseas uh indoor soccer was kind of america's sport that was emerging through you mm -hmm. know for soccer at the time um but again some very limited opportunities and uh that's where i i, I didn't really see a a uh, really, a really prospective uh, prospect of, of playing soccer. Um, so I, that's where I started to turn my attention to coaching instead of playing. And how would your, because the indoor game is a lot different than the outdoor, would your skill set, do you feel it would have translated? It's Because it's a much more offensive game for the, yeah. for the indoor. Yeah, uh, and I think it's, it's a more specialized uh, so specialty players with that uh, compared to the outdoor game. And so um, it, it it was still labeled soccer, uh, but kind of in the back of my mind, it, it wasn't soccer. Um, 
and at times um, just question whether is that really the direction that I wanted to go in with that. So you start turning your eye to coaching. What's the the, the coaching landscape? Kind of where did you start when yeah. you kind of decided to, to try that? So fortunate to have an older brother that was uh, already in the college coaching ranks. Uh, so that's the, the natural step was just to go with him. Uh, Division three men's program, uh, SUNY New Paltz and uh, upstate New York. And that's where I, you know, the first coaching bug bite, if you will, uh, and then spent two years there and then moved on to a junior college to be a head coach. Um, I think that's every coach's aspiration eventually is to be a head coach. Um, and something was, was just a little bit missing in there. Um, and I think when I look back, and a big reason why I, why I turned over to the women's side was um, I, I wanted to deal with the um, Division One mentality. And so nothing against the other players, uh, I mean, the players, uh, the, the student athletes from the D3 and, and junior college level, but that was something that I was seeking was uh, more of the uh, commitment and drive to that because um, I felt that's, you know, where my experience was and I could help out the most. Those early days, I'm curious because this is one of the things I'm always curious. You know, you're probably 23, 24 at that time maybe. Yeah, yeah. What's the dynamic? You know, you're. I'm guessing there were some players – on the D three teams, but that, you know, a couple months younger, a year mm-hmm. younger. Mm-hmm. What well, was it a difficult dynamic, like being in a position of, of power, but being so close in age to much of the roster? Or was it not really an issue? No, not really an issue because I just think that, um, you know, you, I guess more so with the guys than, than the girls, um, you got to prove yourself. So, you know, and I felt very confident with that, you know, I can prove myself. Uh, And then once you have that respect, um, it's, you know, much, much like the women also, they're just sponges now and they want to learn from you. And so I was able to, um, in the early years, was able to demonstrate things for them. um, But then certainly start learning the other side of coaching in, in, um, you know, the mental side as well. So I'm curious, did that being able to demonstrate and still get out on the pitch did that uh satisfy that itch to play <laughs> enough uh you know or were you comfortable that the playing part was behind you because i know a lot of folks maybe they get out of it but they're still that well i'm still young well i'm still in shape and yeah. if something comes along we're kind of where were you with that yeah that um so fortunate just growing up um in the new jersey philadelphia um, New York area. Uh, there were a number of very, very competitive amateur leagues, if you will. You know, the Philadelphia Majors, um, there was the Super League in New York and uh, North Jersey Garden State League, very competitive teams. So kind of bounced around um, for the next 10 years or so in those leagues. Did you enjoy all the aspects of coaching as you're settling in, you know, in the, the, the early years. Cause uh, I'm sure one of the things with coaching is you don't realize everything, especially when you get that first head coaching job, everything that falls on into your bucket that you never thought of when you're a player or even an assistant, like what was that like getting used to all the work you had to do just to get the practice, just to get to the game? Yeah, no, I mean, Again, fortunate that uh, the places that uh, that I was at in the early years, 
um, that the administrations and the programs were patient with that. Um, I think they, they knew what my strengths were. They also knew what my weaknesses were. And they were patient with that. So um, while we're doing the work on the field, uh, just a lot of help, uh, a lot of people reaching out to help us with the with the off-field thing. So uh, I was very fortunate in that um, had administrative people and, and mentors that were, were patient and were willing to help out. What was, do you remember the first thing you had to deal with as a coach that it never would have occurred to you that this is something you have to deal with as a coach? Like, was it a travel or somebody <laughs> called and they missed a, a bus and you had to pick them, like just whatever? Yeah. Um, you know, driving vans. Yeah, that certainly <laughs> was something that was kind of new to us, uh, new to me. Uh, and again, in your early years, you go off of your experiences. And so when things uh, were a little different from what I would do, um, it, it seemed off to me. Uh, but then you realize that every player is different, and so you need to adapt with that. So certainly a lot of those little things uh, in terms of, you know, maybe McDonald's is good for me, but for another player, you know, it was Burger King, and no, I don't want McDonald's. <laughs> but uh, once I saw a player, you know, play and not get his Burger King, you know, I made sure we got the Burger King the next time. So, How was it, especially when you were playing at the same time as were coaching was it difficult as a coach with the player you control it like you're you have the ball you're making the move but as a coach you can tell the player what they should do you can show them how to do it but once the whistle goes you know you're at the the water's edge there and they have to do it was it difficult giving up that control and kind of depending on the player to, to do something, because I've talked to a lot of coaches, and that was one of the things that they struggled with, was that they're so used to having that control, but you have to release it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, you, you know one way that works, and it worked for you, and so um, you're kind of sticking with that. Um, but uh, as you're mentioning, there, there becomes that, that development that uh, it can be done more than one way, and the way that I would do it may not necessarily be you know, the way another player does it, or even that uh, another way that that player is good at doing it that way. And you kind of start to learn to let loose a little bit. And um, uh, it really makes you grow as a coach to figure out, you know, there's different ways to get things done. So through these first few jobs, are you sold that soccer coach is going to be it? Like, were there, were you still, I mean, there's a lot of things, you know, there's a financial aspect and a lot of these I'm sure you're not making a ton of money. It's like getting into radio early on and people right. think you're, you know, um, were you sure this was the path that you were going to go? Were there ever doubts? Yeah, I was um, because uh, at the end of the day, it's where I was happiest. And uh, and I knew that I was contributing. Um, and it, it was, uh, you know, a different, a different job every day, you know, so it wasn't just going in and, and just doing things kind of autopilot. Uh, different challenges, different times of the season, different, uh, you know, whatever the, the different challenges are with the programs. Um, and it, I enjoyed it. So I knew this is what I wanted to do. So we talked about some of the jobs. You, uh, I think you went back to Rutgers as an assistant for the women's I team. Did. And mm-hmm. that eventually led to you coming to Philadelphia University, now Thomas 
Jefferson University. Kind of talk a little bit about what, uh, how that opportunity came about to kind of get into the into the city. Yeah, so going back, you know, I guess the first transition going from men to women, uh, coaching men to women, and I was at, uh, back for a Rutgers uh, NCAA game and uh, came across the women's coach for Rutgers at the time, who um, uh, Charlie DeSilly, who was a you know local Philadelphia player, uh, played at Temple and uh, was coaching at Rutgers, and um, actually coached at the high school uh, at the rival high school in my town. So I I knew of him, and uh, we we got to talking. He knew I was coaching. He asked how it was going, and um, he he ironically had a a position open and started talking to me and. and asked me if I ever considered coaching women and told him, you know, never thought about it. Um, so we kind of went through some discussions and I guess ultimately the things that made me decide to, to take that opportunity was um, it was division one. So the athlete was the athlete part was, was there. Um, and it was my alma mater. So that certainly helped out. And the opportunity to work with Charlie was uh, something that I always uh, thought about, uh, and when that opportunity came, um, and I, I said, okay, so it's women, you know, how different can it be? Uh, but you know, yeah, I found out some of the, the differences, but that was what made me move over and, um, and started me on my path with women's soccer. What were the big differences? Um, just different ways to get the message across. Uh, at the end of the day, it's still soccer. Um, but, um, you know, the players are motivated differently. Players learn differently. And um, so that you, you learned that a little bit more, you know, uh, with the guys, it was, uh, you could be a little more straightforward and, and get into them, um, be a little more critical of them. Uh, and then you uh, initially for me, it was, it was tough being critical with the, with the females and they actually, um, they wanted me to treat them and coach them like guys. And that, so that took me a, a while for that. Um, and, uh, you know, you just, again, what kept you going was your, you could see that your efforts were, were making a difference that, uh, you were teaching, you were actually, you, you could teach with that. And that, that certainly keeps you going. So, um, so that was, you know, the switch over. Uh, and then as you're coaching, uh, I'm sure w- with any assistant coach, as you're coaching for a number of years, you start to wonder, you know, could I do this? Could I be the person in charge? Can I make the decisions? Uh, so I started thinking about, you know, moving to a, a head position. And that's when uh, the opportunity at actually, uh, so I might date myself, but at the time it was Philadelphia Textile when I moved over uh, with the women's program um, and uh, was there for two years and then Drexel. Uh, university had the opportunity to move over to Drexel. We need to take a break. We will have more with Drexel women's soccer coach Ray Goon right after this. This is one-on-one. A Philadelphia dentist today was sentenced to 22 years in prison and fined $100,000. This was just unbelievable. You got to understand the genius in Larry. Nobody was doing coke at this point. No one could believe that this highly educated, young, handsome man was this kingpin drug dealer. This is Wolves Among Us, the Larry Lavin story. A documentary podcast from C13 Originals, a Cadence 13 studio. Listen now on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
And we are back on one-on-one, -on -one, continuing our conversation with Drexel University head women's soccer coach, Ray Goon. You had a ton of success at then Philadelphia uh, Textile. I think you, I have got it here, like 28, 9, and 2. How much fun were there? I mean, it's always fun to win, but, you know, that's winning at a very high, you know, a high pace. Yeah, uh, it it was fun, absolutely, um, and um, maybe because of the makeup of the team. So there were a couple players that were already there that I knew of uh, coaching through uh, the Olympic Development Program in New Jersey. There were a couple players that I already knew over there. Uh, so they, you know, I give a lot of credit to um, the foundation that was already there and allowed me to come in and just kind of put my mark a little bit on it, but just tweak a few things. And, um, yeah, we just, we started rolling with, with some success. And, um, again, confidence comes into play. And when the kids were, were, you know, becoming more confident with their play, it, it just, again, the results were taking care of themselves. So you're two years at, uh, Philly, U, 94, 95 ish, right? So then how do in nine, you met, you then make the the move to Drexel, and you were basically restarting. They were restarting the the varsity program, and you were given the range. Like, was that something that especially appealed to you to kind of be the the person that puts the foundation pieces in place, or was it it's Division One? It's in the city. It's relatively close to home. Like, was it more just all those pieces or yeah. com some combo? Definitely. You know, the Division One aspect um, was a major factor. Um, and uh, probably the biggest challenge that that, uh, that I wasn't quite aware of was it, it was you're really start, you're starting a brand new program from from scratch from from the ground level. And um, so if anything, I, I, I just wasn't aware of how much work it was going to be from that level on the soccer field. Um, you know, I, I kind of knew that it being a, a brand new program, but, um, just on all the other levels that you touched on before, just the managing of a program, uh, from its grassroots level and, um, a lot more than I thought it was going to be. Was there a, there had been a varsity before, but it wasn't obviously anymore. Was there a, a club you could draw some early, talent from like what kind of was you're starting a varsity program but kind of what was the landscape that you were inheriting were there any pieces kind of in place you could pull from <laughs> no it was it was challenging so from what i remember what i was told um at the time drexel university was a very male dominated uh, institution um and they wanted to increase the female enrollment at drexel so they uh from the athletic side uh, at the time they they uh, started women's soccer back up. Um, women's crew had turned into an NCAA sport. Uh, and I'm, they brought in uh, uh, women's track and field, uh, which didn't really even get off the ground, mainly because we, we didn't have a track. And, makes it difficult. <laughs> yeah, it makes it a little difficult, yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, so to get back to that, that's, you know, athletics part was they're going to start a women's soccer program. Uh, and uh, while there was a program the previous year, um, there there were very few remaining players that were that were uh, made available. I think we kept uh, I think two players, uh, three players, and um, 
it, uh, they helped out in terms of the acclimation for our new players. Uh, but to be honest, um, you know, we, we joined a conference right away and it was, you know, it, it was real division one right from the beginning. And so we, we really didn't have, we didn't have a honeymoon period. We didn't have really an adjustment period. And so that made it very challenging. So when you take the job, where did you start? Like, what were your first few weeks? Was it recruiting? Was it get? Was it more? Let's get all the behind as much of the behind scenes things we can get in place. And you know, like, wait, what time of year were you hired? First of all, when did you come uh, in? I was brought in in June of '96 to play that fall. No, so they gave us a year. Okay, they gave us a year to to get things together. So where did you start? Um, so just. Continue to pick up from the recruiting trail from uh, Philly Textile, uh, and you know a, a little bit different because um, you know the the curriculum, the majors that are offered at uh, Philly Textile compared to Drexel were different. So uh, made a little bit of a shift in terms of who you were pursuing, uh, simply because of that that academic piece. Um, but no, right away, just this hit the ground running with the recruiting because uh, I knew. For all intent and purposes, you have to bring in a, a whole new team. So, um, you know, are you going to bring in 25 freshmen? You know, that's that's a question you were asking. Do I go the junior college route and bring in a couple, you know, two-year transfers? Um, and uh, different, a lot different from today, uh, the transfer option was not big back then. So, Was it fun? Like, putting all these pieces together? Like, do you look back on it a little more romantically than maybe in the moment when you're trying to build this thing and, it, and it's crazy? Like, how do you look back at those early days? Um, the competitive side of me, you know, yeah, you looked at, you know, uh, the on the field kind of um, more so. Um, but uh what was good about it is that you did get to experience. You had that whole experience. And uh, several years ago, we brought back um, uh, every year we have an end of year uh, banquet to recognize the season. And we brought back that first class that I had. Uh, and it was just, it, it, it was, you know, just a great experience to be able to go back and talk to them. And um, uh, I guess what was really, uh, great for me was that they enjoyed that experience. So that really makes you feel a lot better that, um, you know, it wasn't just about the competitive aspect of it and, and the wins and losses. It was, you know, we grew together those four years that they were there. Um, and, uh, they enjoyed it and it was, it, it was good to hear from them that they enjoyed it. Looking back and knowing what you know now, is there anything you do differently oh, in geez, those, yeah. in those early years? <laughs> a lot, right? <laughs> You've been talking to my wife, right? Um, no, absolutely. You know, and, and you don't learn. You don't learn unless you make mistakes. And um, if you're not revaluing yourself and, and, and replaying the tapes, then, then you're really not doing your job correctly. So, yeah, uh, we learned a lot of things. I learned things as a, you know, a program manager. I learned things as a coach. Um, and, yeah, there's, there's, if we could go back in time, absolutely. It would be, it'd be great to do. What was the, aside from getting the players, what was the biggest challenge? Because, it, you know, there are so many fronts you have to, especially when you're kind of starting something, mm -hmm. you know, f 
fundraising, developing. I know you were in the conference, but putting the schedule together, you know, getting your name out there for recruiting. Like, what was the the hardest front to to, to establish? Yeah, uh, no doubt it was to create the culture that you wanted, and um, it was challenging um, because you d- you didn't have the role models to help you out. So when you're bringing the players in, you're you're trying to create uh, the the culture that you need, you know, whether it's the commitment level, the motivational level, all those things. Um, and they didn't have the role models in front of them to see that. So um, we were we were both learning, the players, the student-athletes and myself, we were both learning as that time was going on. Um, and so, again, I, I give them a lot of credit because they, they stuck with it. They still stuck with it. Um, and so uh, I'm sure any coach will tell you that the – Creating that culture, maintaining that culture, um, and uh, maintain, maintaining the standards that you want. And really for us in those early years, it wasn't maintaining, it was growing those standards. So uh, there was a level of frustration with um, some of the early student-athletes because we would, we would do things similar to maybe a year or two ago, but we knew that still wasn't the standard that we needed. Um, so yes, we were still progressing, we were growing. Um, but we, you know, encouraging them to, to push even further, um, was, was a challenge. How long did it take? How many years did it take? So you kind of felt like the program was starting to kind of find itself and the things were in place and, uh, there was enough of a foundation built wins, losses aside, but just like Mm -hmm. kind of, uh, the program where maybe you didn't feel like you were kind of in foundation build mold mode. You were more on, you know, just growing the program like any other program. How long did that take? Yeah, uh, it, it took a while uh, and, you know, a number of things because we couldn't control them. Um, but uh, we had changed conferences during my time there. Uh, we went from the America East Conference, which at the time, uh, they had they had the conferences rated, and in terms of women's soccer, the America East was maybe like the 16th strongest conference in the country, and we moved to the CAA, which was the ninth strongest conference. Um, so that that aspect changed. Um, there was a changeover in the administration at Drexel, uh, the leadership, and um, so that was a moving piece as well. Uh, in addition to the university was was still growing. You know, at the time when I first got here. Um, just under 5,000 students, uh, undergraduate students. And now, you know, we're going into um, this 2022-23 season and there's um, uh, just under 15,000 students. So there was a lot of moving pieces. Uh, With that respect, um, we knew when we moved to the uh, CAA that um, uh, things such as facilities weren't up to par. and So those pieces were moving as well. Um, and so trying to keep up with all of that, um, uh, with so many things, so, you know, such a dynamic environment, um, you're, you're trying to figure out where you can put your foot to, to get some stability and, uh, things were moving, were, were moving quickly, um, and in a positive way, uh, cause change, you know, it was changing in a positive way. So we knew we had to kind of, to manage that and endure that as, as our program was still building. So it took some time, um, you know, they, they, it wasn't like you got the magic pot of, 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 you know, money right away, but we knew each year we were increasing in everything in our resources. Um, so while, it, you know, sure, certainly I'm sure people would wish they, that you got it all at once, 
Um, but it wasn't like they were taking and giving away, uh, taking away, giving and taking away. It was a steady increase of all our resources. Um, so we were certainly grateful for that, but it, it was a longer process because of that. Did, do you remember the first moment that you felt like the program had kind of arrived, like a, a win? Or, you know, like, do you remember that kind of that first signature moment? Yeah, um, not necessarily just, you know, a, a chronological date, but we knew that um, we were competing against uh, teams better. And um, if you kind of just went on wins and losses, then you, you might think, you know, you weren't really gaining any ground. But within the game itself, we knew we were competing. Uh, we knew teams were were taking us more seriously. Um, and... Um, Similar to to this year, um, the year that we really turned the corner, uh, you know, it's not like we we made the playoffs, the the conference playoffs as the last seed, and then continued to to increase there. Um, we didn't make the playoffs. I remember in uh, in two thousand and eleven, did not make the playoffs, and then you turn around in two thousand twelve, and we we were the second seed. So it, it you know we knew we were close again as a team. Um, and, uh, some people might think it was a surprise. You went from not even qualifying for the playoffs to being, you know, challenging for the, the number one seed. Uh, but we, we kind of knew because again, the process on the field, we knew that our play was improving. I'm curious, kind of same question, different track. Was there a point you're building this? Cause you had done a lot of jobs early in your career. And now you've been at Drexel for 26 years. Mm-hmm. So was there a moment when it was conscious that, you know, if they'll have me, this is where I think I'm going to set up shop for a while? Or was it kind of one of those things where you kind of look around? Wow, it's been 10 years already. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I think both are very, very, we could probably find people that have been in both situations. Yeah, a little bit of both, uh, I guess. Um, I think when you first uh, when you first start off, you know, um, Everyone has those aspirations, and uh, for me, uh, in my early years, you know, uh, I always said uh, I wanted to be the coach of the national team. You know, and I'll start here by you know coaching in D three men's soccer. <laughs> um, but as you start going on, uh, and certainly a credit to the Drexel administration and the support we had there, you start to wonder, you know, why not here? Why can't it be here? Uh, we have the things that you that you need to do here to be successful, and so it starts shifting in that manner. That um, yeah, why not? Why not us? Why not here? And that's uh, that's I, I do recall you know coming to that conclusion that um, and grass may not always be greener on the other side. So why not here? How have you changed as a coach from when you first came to Drexel to now? Uh, just. Uh, letting loose a little bit more of the reins a little bit more, uh, trusting your staff more. Um, in the early years, uh, I, you're the only one. You're the only full-time member of your staff, and so you're used to doing a lot of things. And then as your program grows, um, you know, letting go of the reins a little bit and trusting uh, your staff, trusting your players, trusting your captains. Um, so definitely letting go and, and learning from them you know, listening to them, uh, learning, definitely a, a big difference from, you know, I don't even want to just say like 10, 15 years ago, but certainly just, you know, from year to year, you, you can learn from your players and your staff. So 
um, that's probably the biggest change is that uh, listening more rather than trying to prove you know everything. Tactically, have you changed? Like what you try to do X and O wise early on? Are you a different? I mean, I'm sure a lot of it depends on the types of players you have on the roster, but how you how you attack game plans and stuff like that has it changed much? Well, yeah, the game has changed. You know, the 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 student athletes have changed. Um, back in the day, um, or or nowadays, you know, they're just they're stronger, more athletic uh, players, and so the game has changed a bit, and so. You definitely have to make um, that, you know, that kind of conversion with it. Uh, but you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, every team depends um, on what the personnel is. Uh, and so, um, you know, really that, that dictates more so than anything of what you have uh, rather than this is what we're going to do. Do you prefer practice or games? Because I think everybody assumes, well, games, that's where it's at. But I would say coaches I've talked to over the years, it's probably a split bag. The coaches that prefer the game as opposed to the practice where you can you're more hands on and you can you can teach and you have more of a an impact. Yeah, um I guess it depends on the day, it depends on the week. Um and and certainly the setup now with uh the way it has changed the collegiate setting where uh, the push, uh, a little bit more push and attention to um, student-athlete welfare, mental health, uh, physical health, and so um, more time in between games um, allows you to uh, spend more time in the training aspect of it, uh, whereas if you don't get that time to, uh, to recover and train, th- then it does become, the, the games do become more the focus. So... Um, the soccer landscape has, has kind of, you know, it's ebbed and flowed a little bit in terms of trying to figure out what is the right combination of, of matches and, and rest period. Um, so I think it, it depends on the season, depends on the format. Um, and on some days, it, it's, it's the great training environment. It's what you can accomplish training. And then other times, it's um, you know, this is what it's all about, this next 90 minutes, and let's, let's work to get the result. Favorite part of what you do? Um, just paying it forward. You know, again, I said I, I love soccer and to be able to pay it forward, the things that uh, were were given to me and the opportunities were given to me and just what you've learned and being able to pass it on, uh, passing the torch, so to speak. And my final question, you talked early on about, you know, growing up in the 70s and the only soccer you're seeing is from Germany on tape delay. Do you ever take a step back and are you ever amazed, like, how the sport over your lifetime the gains it's made in the U.S. and now you can find multiple matches pretty much any day of the week, almost any time of the day. I mean, it's it's such a stark contrast. Yeah, um, I'm sh- absolutely. At times early on, I questioned whether soccer would take off uh, here in America. Um, knew that you know, abroad it was it was the biggest sport, uh, absolutely, and. Um, but I guess the day where I realized they came up with a video game for soccer, I was like, okay, I think we've made it. (laughs) Ray Goon, this was so much fun. Thanks for coming in. My pleasure. Thank you. 
And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank Ray Goon for being our guest this week. Ray Goon, the head women's soccer coach at Drexel University. Now, if you like this show and you want to help us out, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and a review. Now, you can follow the show on Twitter at one on one pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon 1060. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to check us out again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.